You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Inflation, recession, stagflation. Just what the hell is going on? Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to another Real Vision podcast. So, what the hell is going on? We all want to know. Here at Real Vision, we've debuted a special series called Global Recession. Is everyone wrong? We've called on the world's best experts, including Juliette de Klerk, David Rosenberg, Peter Zion, Pierre Andoran, and many more, to try and help us make sense of things. These real experts will be giving Real Vision members in-depth, long-form analysis on the real stuff that's happening. Best of all, you can get access to all 14 days of Global Recession, Is Everyone Wrong?, for just $1. Yep, $1. So head to realvision.com slash global recession. That's realvision.com slash global recession to join us on this epic two-week journey of discovery. Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, May 23rd, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by one of our favorite guests, Jared Dillian, author of The Daily Dirt Nap. First, let's take a look at what's happening in U.S. equity markets. Uh, It's a risk-on day. That's the short answer. Dow Jones Industrial Average looks like the big winner of the major U.S. equity indices, up nearly 2% on the day, closing out at 31,858. S&P up about 1.85%, just a shade below 4,000, closing out the day at 3,973. NASDAQ also up one and a half points, closing after the day, 1.59, but we'll call it 1.6, uh, 11,535. Uh, I think the de- the S&P 500, Jared, has officially clawed its way out of bear market territory. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think it's I think it's kind of likely that, you know, that little dip into bear market territory on Friday, I think really that's all the satisfaction the bears are going to get. You know, I think I I think we you know we sort of rang the bell on that, and uh, we're going higher from here. Yeah. So, uh, Jared, that's some uh, bullish sounding sentiment. Tell me, what's uh, what's the framework? How are you thinking about this? Well, you know, I mean, you know me, I'm the sentiment guy. I mean, look look at the Barron's cover over the weekend. You know, like a bear mauling. Like, I mean, literally a bear mauling on the cover of Barron's. Like, um, you know, we've seen some interesting stuff. Uh, you know, I think the dollar has peaked. Um, sentiment on the dollar got incredibly one way. Yeah. You were looking at like DSIs in the low single digits. Um, For folks who may not know, tell us what DSIs are. Uh, it's it's a sentiment indicator, like really, and it sort of sort of puts a a number on it. You know, um, I sort of deal with the more anecdotal stuff, but you can look at DSIs across a range of assets. Um, but it's daily, yeah, daily I mean, sentiment index. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. Like the I've spent a lot of time on Twitter and I see all of these sentiment indicators one after we we literally have an avalanche of sentiment indicators. Actually, re, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of March of 2008. Okay. March of 2008 is when Bear Stearns was liquidated, right? March 17th, 2008. And you know, subprime was blowing up. The market was crashing. It was down about, 
you know, 25% from the highs. And everybody was max bearish at the point that Bear Stearns blew up. And then the market rallied 17% from March to June, 17% rally. So all the people that were in the big short trade got squeezed out of it and they were flat in June and then they missed the whole thing. And that's what's happening here. Look, I, I totally think it's possible that the S&P 500 can make lower lows three, four, five, six months from now. I think that's possible. But the sentiment is so one-sided right now that we're set up for this epic squeeze and I think it's gonna happen. Yeah, so unpack that. Talk a little bit about the broader context of what that means and how you think this market is positioned. Well, you know, you can you can see how the market's positioned. Like you can see it in the price action. On Friday, you know, we dipped down into that bear market territory and in the last half hour of the day, you had a 1.2% rally because everybody was everybody wanted to go home flat. They wanted to cover their shorts, cover their exposure going into the weekend. So you can actually see from the price actioning where the positioning is. And there's lots more shorts behind that. And I can tell you, it's been a terrible year for hedge funds, right? They got they were caught max long on the highs in January and they wrote it down. And now in order to make it up, you know, basically in trading, you have to do what works. The market's going down, so they have to short it on the way down. And now positioning is extreme on the downside. Yeah. Hey, Jared, we got a whole raft of international news stories uh, coming out today. Let me just read through a couple of these bullet points, uh, and, and you can just give us your take. Let's start with Asia first. Uh, so there are three major stories coming out of Asia. Uh, one, the United States announcing the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, IPEF. Uh, this is about digital supply chains uh, and and uh, and a whole series of other free trade type of uh, type of initiatives. Uh, we've got uh, President Biden saying that he's going to review some of the China tariffs that were put in by the previous administration, by the Trump administration. Uh, and then we have uh, a story coming out of China uh, that they're announcing a tax relief plan of over $21 billion to boost their economy. Uh, this is effectively a, a kind of fiscal stimulus uh, happening over in China. Uh, Jared, any thoughts on all of this? Well, you know, with regard to the IPEF, I mean, I haven't looked at it until you mentioned it, but I can tell you that, you know, the politics of it are that really neither party in the U.S., the Democrats or the Republicans, are in favor of free trade. This is really the first free trade thing we've heard in a long time. And deglobalization has contributed to inflation and higher prices in the U.S., and it will continue along that path. But if you're talking about removing tariffs in the digital realm where, where we're talking about technology, you know, that's that's very good thing. So, you know, this is the first I've heard of it, but it actually sounds pretty positive. Well, here's uh, something that's interesting. Obviously, this is just breaking. I'm looking at a wire story here uh, that came out within the last, uh, well, call it 30 minutes or so. Uh, and one of the, the bullet points in the text I'm looking at on the CNBC website is, uh, importantly, IPEF is not a free trade agreement. Uh, it's a plan designed to help expand the U.S.'s economic leadership in the Indo-Pacific region. That coming uh, out of CNBC. Obviously, this is a, a, a relatively new story breaking now. Uh, so I guess the question is, uh, what exactly is the significance of a free trade deal that's not a free trade deal? It's a free trade deal. They just don't want to call it a free trade deal. That's what's going on. So, because <laughs> nobody likes free trade right now. So, yeah, and and you make the the point I think spot on, Jared, which is it's not it's not popular right now in either party. 
Yeah. One other big international news story uh, coming out of Europe today, which is Christine Lagarde uh, signaling the end uh, to negative interest rates at the ECB. This is also obviously uh, a big deal. Uh, the ECB joining the Fed in beginning the process, the long process, we should say, of normalizing uh, monetary policy, Jared. Well, you know, the ECB is the slowest central bank in the world. You know, they're, they're I mean, they're literally like two or three years behind. So the fact that they're, and, and you know, they're behind even the U.S., which was slow. Uh, you know, but uh, in the U.S. today, we had, you know, Atlanta Vice uh, President Bost, Fed President Bostic. Boy, talk about brand new. This is like within the last hour. That yeah, it happened within the last hour. He made a comment that we could pause the rate hikes in September. And one of the things I've been talking about in my newsletter, I said, look, the Fed sees the data. And the Fed ultimately cares more about preventing a recession than they do about inflation. The politics about inflation are very bad. It's hurting Biden's approval numbers. But ultimately, what's worse than that is people losing their jobs. They still care more about recessions. So, you know, the comment I made in my newsletter is, wait, you're going to see these Fed speakers. They're going to start making comments about pausing or slowing down rate hikes or waiting to see what happens. And Bostic is the first one. And you're going to see more after that. Yeah, it's and, and really the interesting thing is, the interesting thing is, the rates market didn't move on it at all. I mean, if you looked at the Fed funds, Fed funds futures, they didn't move on this news at all, which I thought was shocking. Yeah, we've been talking about this here on Religion Daily Briefing. I know you and I have had this conversation, which is, it's really this uh, Scylla and Charybdis, this 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 trying to thread the needle between these opposing pain points uh, that we're talking about here. Inflation, obviously, CPI over eight percent right now. On the producer price index side, PPI, double-digit prints. On the other, the risk of hearing about you know GDP in contraction and the impact uh, on jobs here in the United States. Obviously, this is the challenge with the dual mandate. As you say, we've kind of been skewed to one side, to the inflation side, and now uh, it's, it's, it's possible that we're about to see uh, maybe a swing back to fear of what's going to happen in labor markets. Jay Powell, historically, over the last several months at least, has been signaling uh, that labor markets are extremely tight. But this is really interesting, uh, these, the, this comment from uh, Governor Bostic around uh, the potential to maybe slow down this uh, normalization process. Yeah, I mean, labor markets were tight, but I think they're loosening up. And I think you're starting to see the supply chain open up. You're starting to see orders for goods get canceled. You know, it is resolving itself. And I think you will see, I mean, independent of what the Fed does, I think inflation is going to drop probably down to about 5% or so. Inflation will be down to 5%. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What, now, when you when you think that through, uh, Jared, what is it that, that are the leading indicators that you're seeing out there that suggest to you that we might see inflation dropping rapidly down to 5%? I mean, this is basically very much in keeping with the, the thesis that the Fed uh, had put out, this notion of transitory inflation that I think has been retired. Uh, by Fed Chair Jay Powell, but give us a sense of what your leading indicators are that you're looking at. Uh, I mean, all right. So, you know, I'm partly talking out of my ass, but, you know, aside from that, like, I mean, look, I've just seen, I've seen a bunch of charts come my way today, you know, that sort of indicate that the economy is slowing down, absolutely is slowing down. So um, you've seen a bunch of layoffs in tech, okay? 
Um, it hasn't really spread to other parts of the economy, but you are seeing layoffs in tech. I think that's the beginning of it. So right. it is happening. Yeah, someone sent me uh, a very uh, sort of uh, sobering article from Y Combinator, uh, the big, uh, you know, uh, the the big. Uh, I'm losing the word because I'm on camera here, of course, live. <laughs> uh, but the uh, incubator out in Silicon Valley, where they do a lot of the private market uh, funding. Uh, basically, it's a, a bellwether of what's happening in private markets in the venture capital space. And the interesting thing uh, is these were some really, really grim tidings, effectively saying that the challenges that had been occurring uh, over in public markets on the tech side uh, had been beginning to filter in uh, to private markets uh, out in the valley. Some very sobering points. Yeah. And one of the things I forgot to mention is that ISM is dropping. Okay, so it's at about 55 right now, but it's down from about... These are the uh, Institute for Supply Management numbers yeah. citing. So I, ISM is dropping. It'll continue to drop. And I think within the next couple of months, you could see a below 50 print on ISM. Give us a sense. That's obviously the contractionary level. Give us a sense of the significance of those ISM numbers. Well, I mean, that's really that's really an indicator of manufacturing intentions. You know what I mean? So it's one of the most if you look at economic indicators, you have lagging indicators, which are unemployment. And the interesting is interesting thing is we make a lot of decisions based on unemployment, but that's a severely lagging indicator. But ISM, when you talk about manufacturing and purchasing intentions, that's really at the leading edge of the economy. So, you know, in the old days, um, you know, back in like 2002 or 2003, if the ISM went above 50, the Fed would immediately start hiking rates. They were that responsive. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about something that you mentioned, because I know you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the newsletter. This, of course, is Daily Dirt Nap, uh, where you talk about TLT. First, give a little bit of background on what TLT is for people who don't follow the fixed income markets as closely as you do, Jared. And second, explain a bit of the significance of what we're seeing there right now. Okay, so TLT is an ETF. It's a fixed income ETF. It holds bonds between 20 and 30-year maturities. So it has the on-the-run 30-year bond and basically all the off-the-run bonds going back to 20 years. So a lot of people think about TLT, the TLT, they say, okay, this is the long bond. It's actually not the long bond. It has a slightly shorter duration. It's a portfolio, but it's close right. enough. So um, I think that rates have peaked. And, and I, I'm pretty sure I said that in the daily briefing a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, maybe with Maggie. But I think that rates have peaked. I have taken a long position in bonds. Um, because of all the things that I mentioned, because I think we're entering a slowdown, because I think inflation is going down, and because I think rate hike expectations are going to get taken out of the market. Yeah. I'm not sure if we have a chart of TLT, but if we do, it would be great to put it up. Uh, and let me just say this, for those who are looking at the chart uh, right now, TLT uh, moves in relation to the price of bonds, so inversely to yield. That's what you're seeing when you're looking at the TLT chart. 
So Jared, what else uh, has your attention right now? I know we've covered a lot of points in terms of the news cycle. Uh, you've got a lot of things that you're working on uh, right now in the Daily Dirt app. What are some of your thoughts uh, and how do you see them influencing markets? Well, I mean, basically most most of what I'm writing about is focused on this the sentiment significance of what's happening with the bear market and stocks. Uh, I made, this is when we got the CPI number, I made sort of a splashy call that, you know, it didn't really matter how bad the CPI number was that stocks would rally. That was at about 39.60 in the S&P, and we're still at about 39.60 in the S&P. I think we are having a bottoming process. Um, but I really think that a rally could take us all the way back to the Fibonacci retracement. I think we could go significantly higher. I think it would surprise a lot of people. And the catalyst for that, I think, is you know getting comments like what Bostic said out of the Fed. I think if we get some of those comments, I think that could actually be the catalyst for the rally. Yeah. I just want to hit on uh, one other thing. I know you're long gold and silver. Tell us a little bit about your position on precious metals. Sure. I mean, you know, I've had it for 17 years, but... Um, it's, you know, look like gold has been super disappointing. Um, it was kind of fun after the Ukraine invasion and we made a double top at 2060 going back a couple of years. Uh, and since then it's just completely, it's been, a, and silver has been worse. I mean, silver, I don't really have a big position in silver. It's very small, but that's just been a horror show. Um, we have seen a little bit of a bounce in the last week or so getting up to about 1850, 1860 in gold. So yep. I don't know. We'll see. Trading right now, we should say uh, eighteen fifty-three uh, per ounce for gold and twenty-one seventy-eight uh, right now as we're live on air for silver. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of a gold permeable. I don't. I'm not very objective on it. I like to think I'm objective about a lot of things, <laughs> uh, but I'm not. I'm not really objective about gold. I always think it's going higher. Um, you know, the interesting thing is, is that gold is up this year. And a lot of people shit on gold. Oh, look how bad it's done. We have inflation. We have this war. And yet gold is, you know, gold is outperforming stocks by a lot. Stocks are down 18% and gold is up like 2%. I don't know. I don't think that's so bad. So, Yeah. Let me hit one other quote that I thought was really interesting uh, from Daily Dirt Nap. Uh, this is a quote about Kathy Wood. She's down 70%. She thinks she's still on the comeback trail. It's not an act. It's not a grift. She knows what she is doing is right. You have to admire that kind of conviction. Uh, Jared, Kathy Wood getting a lot of heat from a lot of quarters, uh, but sounds like you're quite bullish on the strategy. Oh, no. I'm not bullish on the strategy at all. I, <laughs> I'm not bullish on the strategy at all. All I'm oh, Look, it, like everybody's wrong at various times. We all get right. to be wrong. And she's been massively wrong for like 70%, okay? But the thing that I admire about her is that she believes in what she is doing, okay? Yes. She absolutely believes it. It's not an act. She's not right. saying these things to get assets like she, like she is a true believer. So I think that maybe over, if she continues on this strategy for the next 10 years, there's no style drift. She doesn't buy consumer staple stocks or anything else she sticks with this strategy over the next 10 years i think it'll actually work out but the problem is is that in market markets you have corrections you right. get a margin call you get stopped out and that's the part of trading that she doesn't seem to realize yeah 
Okay, so let me narrow the question down a little bit. What what part of the thesis are you bullish on where you talk about over a 10-year horizon, you think she may be successful? Is there some sort of fundamental aspect of the strategy of the core idea, apart from the, the sort of trade cycle and positioning component of it, that you feel uh, has some legs? Well, you know, growth investing is kind of a mess right now, but, you know, yeah. we kind of forget about it. But for long periods of time, growth investing works. You know, it really does. And she's sort of at the, the the pointy end of growth investing. So all the technology she's talking about, whether it's AI or anything, like, you know, 10 years is a long time. This is 2022. Think how world how different the world is now than when it was in 2012. You know, there's, I mean, a lot of these things that she's talking about could come to pass. Indeed. Uh, so let's talk also about um, where you are on oil. Uh, give us a sense. We're trading, I think, one one ten right now uh, on WTI. What are your thoughts about the oil markets? Um, so after the invasion, uh, oil spiked to one thirty, and then it kind of completed a wedge pattern, and it broke out from the wedge, and it traded up to like one fourteen or something like that. Uh, so technically, it looks pretty good. I still have problems with the sentiment. It's very consensus, you know. It's very consensus. Uh, sentiment on energy is higher than for any other sector, and it doesn't really—it doesn't really matter to me what the chart looks like. I just cannot get past the sentiment. It's just too hot. Yeah. Uh, so, talking of oil, uh, also in that thesis, very often the dollar. I wanted to run a clip. We're we're changing stuff up a little bit here uh, today from the Real Vision crypto tier, and I think you'll see why because there's some significant intersection uh, with the macro. Uh, markets on this clip. Uh, it's a clip uh, from a show called Crypto Fates is Tied to Old School Finance. This is uh, Francis Hunt, the crypto sniper, uh, in conversation with me. This is the Real Vision Crypto tier, and that, of course, is free to all with an email address. Let's take a look at the clip. The people that manage the dollar don't like threats to the dollar. And one of the best ways to do, to emphasize their authority is to do a bit of chest beating, like the chief silverback in the troop. Uh, and so they really crank the dollar strength up. Uh, I think what the Fed is actually doing is almost more driven by the potential of punishing those that are looking into other systems and creating demand because momentum creates demand, much like FOMO in crypto. So you drive dollar strength with a Fed policy that is doing tightening. And I think they're going to turn the screw a little bit further than most people come. We all know the stimulus comes in the end, but I think they're going to really get the, 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 the pip squeaking before that event. This is a very sustained right. risk off environment, which then means that we get, we, we're going to get held down a lot longer on crypto and on the tech side. And this also helps them with the inflation narrative to a degree, but it passes the inflation to the rest of the world because with a dollar going up, people still buying their oil yeah. in dollar, Euroland, Japan, now they have the inflation problem. They already do. Europe has even worse problems with the gas prices that they pay over there. But when you go into the this particular kind of narrative, it's going to get extreme for them. And Part, not all, because in my opinion, if you ask me to characterize the economic environment we're in, it's hyper stagflation. That means really hard pressure on any form of true growth for the retail consumer. Francis Hunt, the crypto sniper on the Real Vision crypto tier, uh, free to everyone. Here's what stuck out to me about that clip, Jared. Quote, 
I think what the Fed is actually doing is almost more driven by the potential of punishing those that are looking into other systems and creating demands because momentum creates demand, much like in crypto. So basically, um, Francis Hunt saying, in effect, Fred intentionally managing the dollar upward. Uh, I mean, usually here in the United States, we want to go dollar, we want the dollar to go down. Uh, I don't know if the Fed was targeting any currency values, but I can tell you as a consequence of the Fed's actions, it has made foreign currencies very weak relative to the dollar, and now they have to target their FX values. So, Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's jump into questions. They're coming in fast and thick. First one uh, from Ralph Humphrey from the Real Vision site. This is a question perfectly custom tailored for you, obviously somebody who knows your work. Uh, and the question is, what are the most important sentiment indicators you look at, Jared? Uh, indicators. Well, you know, I tend to deal in anecdotes. You know what I mean? I'll tell you a great one. This is an amazing one. So I was talking to sort of like a friend of a friend. It was a woman from the Upper East Side. And she was, she was telling me that her daughter was trading stocks. This was like three weeks ago. And I said, what kind of stocks is she buying? She said she bought Coke and Procter and & Gamble. And I'm like, wow, this is great. The kids aren't buying growth stocks anymore. They're not buying crypto. They're buying Coke. And of course, that was days before the 6% wipeout in XLP literally days before you know so if you want to ask me what kind of indicators i look at really i just have my eyes open and my ears open and i talk to people and everything somebody says is a piece of information it's a piece of the puzzle so i'm always listening yeah uh, by the way uh, for those who do not know xlp is the consumer staples select sector spider fund uh trading under the ticker xlp of course uh so here's one uh from actually on YouTube, and the question comes from, is this it, Q? Uh, and the question is, is Jared ready for gold to disappoint and pull back again? I'm always ready. I'm always ready. <laughs> you know, I spend a lot of time looking at the chart, and uh, the thing with gold is is that when it broke out from that wedge, that three-year wedge, uh, it was, it was, it really, it really be, it did what it was supposed to do. It, it, it skyrocketed higher and now it's kind of in technical no man's land. Uh, I'm psychologically prepared for it to trade in the 1700s and it actually did for a little bit. It got down to about 1785. Um, but in the context of like other asset classes, I mean, really it's only been about, what, like a 15% drawdown or something, maybe less, maybe 12 or 13%. Like it's super painful, but I mean, stocks are worse. Crypto is a lot worse. Even bonds are, I think bonds are almost as, almost as bad. So, you know, I, it's just like pick your asset class. Like it's actually not that bad. I tend to be an optimist about it. Yeah, Jared, this is one of the things that we like about having you on Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're never surprised by anything. You're a trader. You're prepared for anything to happen. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I am not surprised by anything. Yeah. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Here's a question from Sean Daw. This one comes to us from YouTube. Uh, hello, both. Uh, is Jared still positive since last uh, appearance, I think, on Daily Briefing on long bonds? And also, you covered that a bit on TLT. But Sean also wants to know about your view on munis. Okay, so bonds, I am still bullish. I'm long. I have a pretty big position. I'm, lose, I'm losing a little bit of patience with it. Um, it's, it's, bonds are forming a base. Uh, it's taking a little bit longer than I thought. Uh, it's really hard for bonds to rally meaningfully unless rate hike expectations come in. Like, that's, it, it's, otherwise, you know, what happens is we have this dynamic where stocks will be up 1% or 2% and the long bond will be down half a percent. And it, you just you just get caught in this washing machine, and it never gets better. So you really need rate hike expectations to come in. Munis, I mean, if if you're in the top tax bracket, and you're looking for a way to get fixed income exposure, munis are the best way to do it. Um, and I would actually recommend individual bonds. You know, uh, talk with your broker, pick out some individual bonds, and hold them to maturity. You know, I actually have I have a muni closed end fund, and it's leveraged. And it got caught in this leverage drawdown a couple of weeks ago. So that's the way most people invest in munis. But I, I think individual bonds are better. Yeah. For folks who do not may not know, uh, I spent some years actually in muni land myself. And obviously, federally tax exempt. Uh, and depending upon the state, also potentially, potentially exempt uh, from state tax as well. Um, Boy, here's a great question that comes to us uh, from uh, Kyle Noblechief. I hope I'm saying that right, from YouTube. Uh, and the question is, uh, oil prices rise, food prices rise. How does inflation go down? No, I mean, I, look, the rate of change is already slowing. You know right. what I mean? I mean, even absolute CPI is slowing. It went from 8.5 to 8.3. And even before we had a drop in CPI, the rate of change was slowing. So, I mean, that's what you're looking at. You know, you're, right. looking, at, you're looking at the second derivative. You know, so right. it's it's absolute. So it yes, food prices and energy prices are rising, but they're not rising as much. I mean, sure, even with inflation at five percent, they're still rising. Food and energy prices are still rising, just not as fast. I'm not saying there's going to be deflation. Right. Important distinction. Jared, always great having you on the show, particularly great having you on the show today uh, when we've got some market action happening, some volatility, uh, and this regime shift, at least for a day, uh, into the risk-on mode that we've just seen. Uh, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our Real Vision Daily Briefing audience with? Uh, you know, I'll kind of say what I said in my newsletter today. I mean, just try to be optimistic. One of the things I talked about in the piece was, does anybody ever put on a trade expecting it to be a loser? If you're putting on a trade and you expect it to be a loser, you should not put on that trade, right? So look, like I actually, like I said, I admire Kathy Wood. I admire what she's doing. I just wish she was a better risk manager. <laughs> Jared, always a pleasure to have you on. Always fun to have you here. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks. And thanks for watching Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy Thornton. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 
are a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.